0: My name is Pastor Chris, and we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. I want to invite you to open your um, Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 2. And we are in a series called 24-6, where we are understanding uh, this powerful reality that we're going to dive into today. How many enjoyed President Kim that was with us last week as he shared God's word with us? Man, um, I was so blessed and encouraged by that. And I feel that that message is very foundational and helpful for us as we, um, as we get ready um, Hold on just one second. I want to. That was one minute of silence. How many people felt awkward? (laughs) Come on. This guy felt awkward. I I did first service, and I'm like, it's only been 12 seconds. I thought it was like three minutes. Do you know why it felt awkward? A little bit unnatural? Because you're conditioned to know that when I get up here and we open our Bible, and now I'm going to start talking. So for me not to do that and for me to stop and just to cease and to be quiet, that feels unnatural. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's like, wait, ho- hold on, this doesn't feel right. And it feels, you can feel a little restless, like we're supposed to be doing something, aren't we, at this point in time. Um, it's a powerful reality because I, I believe this is going to set us up for what we're talking about today. This series, 24-6, is a series about rest. It's about this idea in the Bible that it talks about called Sabbath that God instituted a very long time ago and i believe that in many ways our world has become so twisted and society has become so broken that that we have totally lost touch with this reality and i believe there's something god wants to do this for us at a, at our church We believe it is a year of growth. That's really the vision God has given us as a church. It's a year that God is going to grow us in some special ways. And I believe that that growth is a deepening growth, a growth where the relationship that we have with God is going to reach new places. And I promise you this, that for you to reach your full potential in what God wants to do in your life and grow into who he wants you to be, it cannot happen without rest. It cannot happen without understanding this concept of biblical rest or Sabbath and that becoming a reality in your life. And so in a world that lives 24-7, we as the people of God need to live differently. It's 24-6, understanding this reality. Are you with me? So that's what we're going to dive into today, and we're going to start looking at this passage and just diving in. My goal for you today is I want to lay some groundwork, some foundation from God's word to help you understand and grasp the reality of rest and of Sabbath. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2, starting in verses 1 through 3, we're going to pay attention to here. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Just think about that one statement for a moment. God created everything. He created it all in six days. By the seventh day, verse 2, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested on it from all his work of creating that he had done. Now, there's a few things I want us to recognize just from these first few verses here in Genesis 2. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, and he did it in in this six-day span of time. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Now, here's my question. Here's the thought that has filled my mind. Maybe you've never thought of it. How much better could this world have been if God would have taken the extra day to keep creating? Unicorns. I think we could have had unicorns. I think we could have had it. Candy Mountains. All kinds of things that we see in my kids, uh, my, my, my kids playroom. It could have been reality. Come on God. You had 14% more time in that week. You could have gotten more stuff done. Are you with me? Do you understand? Here's a few things that I believe and I, I believe it with the core of my being. God did not stop and rest on the, on the seventh day because he ran out of ideas in creation. He didn't say oh, I'm, I'm, what else can I do? How many of you know he didn't rest because he was tired and he was worn out? Are you with me? I don't know if, I'm, if you're convinced of that. 9 a.m. understood that reality. Our God is not a God who has grown tired by, by the way. oh, man, I put, in, I put in six days this week. I got I to gotta take a day off. It wasn't around that. I believe deeply God was establishing something at the foundation of creation, that our God is a God of rhythms and patterns, and he was teaching us something about what he would create in us. And so instead, God stepped back and he delighted in his creation. He saw and rested and, 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 and reflected on everything that had been done. And, and in the midst of this, God was laying out a pattern for what would become the Sabbath. You know, one day a week is a lot. Many, when we think about this uh, reality of giving, or we talked about the tithe, meaning the tenth, 10% feels like a lot. You know, a day is 14, over 14% of your week. That's a lot. Imagine all the things that could be done. But God established something, a cycle 24-6, not 24-7. And yet, in the world we live in today, where you have a never-ending stream of communication and information at your fingertips, how many of you know this thing never sleeps, right? The internet never turns off. If the internet turned off and just ceased to be for a day, you would lose your mind. You wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Are you with me? The world would come crashing down, literally. Stock markets and economies would start to crumble because it never turns off. You know, whenever we think about this reality of how restless and how busy the world is, and then here we are in the, in the shadow of New York City, in this part of New Jersey, don't you feel, I mean, we're in the shadow of the city that never sleeps. And we live in the reality of restlessness and busyness and always working, always being on. And here's what I really believe that God wants to do something to break that cycle. We gotta do it, church. We gotta become different. We gotta see a change happen because I believe that this is plaguing us in creating more unhealth and more restlessness, and more burdens than we can even imagine or comprehend. And what is it? It's the busyness. It's the crowdedness of our lives. It's how ruthlessly many of us are just going and going and grinding away. Some of you have said this before. At the end of a vacation, I need a vacation from my vacation. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I need a weekend from my weekend. How many of you have done this? And this is what life looks like. Work, 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 work. Take a vacation, six days into it, you still have not unwound. Anyone know what I'm talking about? One of our deacons said that in their their job, they actually forced that if you were going to take a vacation, you had to take two weeks vacation because they knew in that line of work, you got so wound up in the numbers and the things you were doing that by the end of a week, you really haven't even rested yet. You've just unwound, and if you're not careful because of the work you're going back into, you'll start to wind up about two or three days before. You'll start to get anxious, so they would force. Remember we were talking about that, pre-tim in our meeting, that, that that's a reality, and so for many of us, we are so wound up. We are so restless in our lives that even when you have a day off, you're working. You know what I'm talking about. You got your list of things to do. And then as soon as you get a moment to rest, then you're on to the tasks in that. And there's a guilt that can become associated with it that you think, man, if I'm, if I'm not doing something, then you actually feel guilty. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You feel like, man, like this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this. Here's what I want to tell you. God created in the fabric of a week. Seven days, God created one day, and then the Bible said not only did he create this day of rest, but what does it say in verse 3? What did God do on that day? He blessed it. He blessed this day, and he set it apart. And here's what I become convicted by, that every week I go by and I choose not to enter into that rest, I'm forfeiting a blessing God has. In that day, in that time, God hasn't given us this Sabbath day, this idea. It's not a time out. It's not like the coach is pulling you out of the game and putting you on the bench because you're being punished. Some of you were going to feel guilty like that if you were to take a day off, like I'm doing something wrong. Or is this some kind of punishment? No, it's God's invitation into blessing, into rest, into finding strength, into some amazing things. And so God blessed that day, blessed that time of rest. And so what do we do on a Sabbath or on a day of rest? Nothing. No, no, Pastor. I mean, I mean, I could do all my chores. I can That's not what the Lord had intended. The Lord made it clear he didn't want any of that. He wants you to rest and cease from that work, to worship him, to look to him, to experience what he has for you. And I promise you this, if you get this reality in your heart, if your heart gets pricked with this like mine has become, it's going to feel strange. It's going to feel different. Because some of us think that because we're taking days off from work, that we're resting and we're actually not even resting We're not experiencing the rest that God is even showing us because something in us has become twisted. I promise you it is possible for you to have a day off and still be restless. For you to actually have time set aside, but you're not at rest and at peace in the way that the Lord would desire. And so I want us to start, take a look at the root. I believe there's a root here that we have to understand and confront from God's word all the way back in the Old Testament that's still alive and well today. And let's look at it for just a moment. Would you open and continue in your Bibles? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's a few books of the Bible over there in the Old Testament. It's one of the original five, first five books of the Bible. Uh, that's called the Pentateuch. Um, and that uh, are many of the things that would show us God's way, his law, um, what it means for his people to have relationship with him in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is a special um, moment in scripture because this begins to outline God sharing the Ten Commandments with his uh, followers. Now, rewind a little bit. We know the story, many of us, of Moses and the Exodus, um, people the Israelites had been taken as slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. They were oppressed for many years, 400 years to be precise. I'll follow up on that in a few moments. But then God rescued them out of Egypt, used Moses as a leader, and they went out into the wilderness for 40 years on their way to a promised land, a land of rest that God was bringing them into. And while he was out, they were out in the wilderness, God began to unfold for them the law. And many of us would think the law, we think that feels very legalistic. That feels very much um, a bunch of rules, do and don'ts. And maybe you grew up with the idea that that's what church was, or that's what Christianity is about. It's just about a bunch of legalistic rules of do this and don't do this. That was really not God's intention as he's giving the law. What he was doing is he was defining the relationship with his people. Because they had just been slaves for 400 years. And there was a whole relationship that they had with Pharaoh. Pharaoh literally, if they were enslaved under him, he was over them. He Owned them he tried to keep them in that way and God said you're not slaves you're my sons you're my children and I'm going to set you free and can I tell you that a slave thinks different than a son do you understand what I'm talking about there's a different mindset there was abuse and neglect and their their lives were were not treated for anything of worth and now they're brought out by a God who loves them and he wants to have relationship with them and would ultimately send his son to die for them don't you think that relationship should feel different so God was defining what that relationship would be in the wilderness. Next time you read the Old Testament, think about everything the Lord's saying in those, in those terms. God's helping them understanding what relationship would look like. And in the midst of that, God gave them the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Etched in stone, Moses went up, got revelation on the mountain. And as he shared these Ten Commandments with them, these were the big ones. These were, these were important. These were things that were brought down and shared from the heart of God to the people. And here's, uh, in the midst of those, how many of you know the Ten Commandments? How many of you, if I put you on the spot, you could quote them, you think? Not many. Um, Well, I don't know if you know this, but one of the Ten Commandments is about the Sabbath. And so it's found here in verses 12 through 15. Look what it says. It says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, meaning set apart, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Don't do any work, neither you, your son, your daughter, your male, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, your animals, any foreigner residing in your towns. um, Everyone should rest as you rest. And then he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is what the Lord says. Now, there's a few things that are interesting in in the midst of this, because as you think about it, we now know that Jesus has come and he's fulfilled the law. That's what has happened. We live in, in, in light of what Jesus has done. And so we live, he said, I've come to give you a new commandment. And he said, I've come to fulfill the law. And in the midst of that, many Christians will say, well, I don't, I mean, all those old rules in the past and eating pork and all these different things, they don't apply to us anymore because we're in Jesus. And so maybe as well, Sabbath, this idea doesn't really apply to us because that's part of the old, uh, that's part of the old law. That's part of before Jesus. Jesus come to fulfill that. And yes, amen, Jesus is our ultimate Sabbath rest. You can't have rest until you rest in Jesus um, ultimately, that's the greatest promise and fulfillment of rest found in God's word is found in the person of Jesus Christ and in relationship with him. But we think about where it's found, this command of rest. It's found in the Ten Commandments. So I'd say, okay, I understand there's about 500 different laws in the Old Testament. and many of them, they wouldn't apply to us in Christ and in, in New Testament Christianity. But what about the Ten Commandments? Are there any of the Ten Commandments you would say? I mean, would we be good to go murder someone after this? Do you want to go follow me? We'll go have a, a, you know, stick up a bank party. Um, do you want to go create some idols back by the shed? We're probably not going to do any of those things. Are you with me? And we'd actually, you'd look through the Ten Commandments, you'd say, I'm not really interested, in I don't think God will want me to break any of those. I don't think any of them are optional. So the question is, why do we think this one is optional? Why do we think this one is, is up for negotiation? And then here's the other thing. When we look at the Ten Commandments, the Lord gives a line and a statement. He takes the most time with this commandment. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. We're talking verses 12 all the way through 15. It's a, it, there weren't verses back then, but there's, there's a lot of commentary that God gives to this one in particular because he has to teach them something. In fact, rabbis of old said this, you can't keep the other nine commandments unless you can keep this one. Unless you can keep this one, you can't do the rest. Your relationship with God needs to flow out of this reality of Sabbath and of rest. Why? Because there was something instilled in the sons of Israel Remember this, they were slaves for 400 years. Say it with me, 400 years. Do you know what gets ingrained in your thinking and in your being? For them, it was all about work. It was all about their worth was connected to their work. And they worked ruthlessly. Look what it says in Exodus. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. It's the second book of the the Old Testament there right after Genesis. Exodus chapter 1. I'm laying out a foundation. I want you to see this in God's word. After Joseph, who was one of the descendants of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then we have Joseph and his brothers, they all had moved down to Egypt when there was a famine. And when they all moved there, and and Joseph had been given this incredible prominent, prominent position of power, second in command of all of Egypt, all the people settled there and they got comfortable. Someone say the word comfortable. Be careful if you get comfortable. Be careful. Be careful because it only lasts so long before long. Today's Today's comfortable is tomorrow's captivity. I promise you that. This is a lesson that we don't have time for today. Um, But a new king came to town. When this new king or Pharaoh came to town, he didn't know Joseph, and he didn't care about Joseph. All he saw were a bunch of people, these Israelites, that kept multiplying. They are having babies left and right. And they were being fruitful, just as God said, be fruitful and occupy the land. And they occupied the land. And before long, Pharaoh became threatened by them and said, you know what? Um, If anything happens, they're going to come after us. They might turn on us. And so the Bible says that they put slave masters, verse 11, over them and oppressed them into forced labor. Say forced labor. And then they built cities, Python and Ramses, as store cities to Pharaoh. And the more that they oppressed them, the more they multiplied. And so then they begin to dread the Israelites and they work them ruthlessly. They were ruthless in how they handled the Israelites. They were work, work, work. If they ever had any desire to get ahead, it would only be because of how much work they were doing. If they were going to ever have a chance of maybe being advanced, maybe being put over some others and reaching some level of, of power or prestige, it would be because of their work and how much they did. Their only value as a slave in that time was the work that they produced by their hands the work that they could do, the amount of strength, the amount of time, all of those things. And it says this, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Say the word ruthlessly with me. So why? Why give a Sabbath? Why invite the people into this? Why command them to take it? Because Sabbath is the ultimate reminder that it's not about your work. It's not about what you've done. What does God say to them when he institutes the Sabbath? Verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And he's commanded you now to observe the Sabbath. For them, they were conditioned that their work... And their worth were intertwined with one another. And what the Lord says is this. It is not by your work that doesn't determine your value. Your value is determined by your identity in me as my people, as my son, as my daughter. It's not by the work of your hands. It's not by what you can produce. It's not by how good other people think you are. It's not by any of that. Can I tell you this? That there was Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was literally worshipped as a god. And behind him, I believe this, he wasn't a god, he was just a man, but behind him there were spiritual forces and principalities and powers that were completely contrary to the heart of God. Do you understand that? And can I tell you that spirit, that that same mentality, that same reality is at work and alive in our world today. Come on, your worth is connected to your work. You want to get ahead, then put in more hours. It's going to be about what you can produce with your hands. How many of you are working in structures that are built on those same principles? And your only value is about what you can put out and what you can do and what you can create and how much time you can put in. And there are many, you're running a treadmill and you're running yourself down and guess what? There's no stop. There's no end to it. And before long, you get conditioned to think that that's all you are, a machine to create and to produce. And God wants you to realize that's not where your identity comes from. It comes from me and my people. And so of all the people in the world that are working and doing and all this, God says, you're my people. And I'm going to define this relationship differently. Everyone else works seven days. You work six Everyone else does whatever they do. You rest in me on that day. And you recognize that I'm the God that rescued you. That I'm the one. It's by my work, not by your work, that you are who you are. Are you with me today? Do we see the reality? Do we see the difference? How can we not carry this over into our faith today? Because for us as New Testament believers in Jesus, doesn't it sound the same? We were dying in our sin. We were slaves to sin, the Bible says. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But Jesus, with a mighty hand and outstretched arms on Calvary, rescued us out of our sin and our death. And we're not slaves, but we're sons and daughters now. And because we're sons and daughters, we don't work to get our place with God or our worth or our value. Instead, God says, you do what you do and what I created you do. But then once, I want you to pause and I want you to reflect that I rescued you, that I saved you, and that you are mine. What would it look like every week if you stop from the busyness, from that way of thinking that the world is conditioning to just rest in the knowledge that you're his, that he loves you and that he saved you and that your life is not going to be by the work of your hands, but by the work of his hand and that you trust him, that even though there's more work and things to be done than days in a week or hours in a day. That he's the God who sustains you and provides for you and holds all things together. It will change your life, it will change your marriage, it will change your family, it will change your job, it will change everything about you. And you will experience this reality of rest as you begin to walk in this. Does it make sense? But God, he makes all the difference. You know, as you get into your, your groups this week, um, and, and I hope you, everyone will get into a small group or start one with your family and walk through this curriculum. It's going to help you so much. Um, one of the icebreaker questions is talk about the, the longest week you've ever worked. Do I have anyone here that's ever worked an 80-hour week? You've put in an 80-hour work week. That's crazy. Think about that. So, we're going to talk about those things and wrestle with some of these passages that we've been talking about. But another thing in groups that you're going to go deeper in, it's found when God brings the children of Israel out of the wilderness and into the promised land, God said, I'm bringing you into a land of rest. And so, this idea is that I want you to start right now getting ready. Take Sabbath. And could you imagine they're wandering through the wilderness, and every six days, They'd stop on that seventh day. They would rest. They would trust God. And guess what he would do? On the sixth day, he would provide enough for them that it would sustain them on the seventh day. That would be the only day they'd be able to get that. If they ever tried that any other day, it wasn't going to work out for them. It would rot. But on that day, God supernaturally sustained. God does more with less. Trust me. It's the way it works with God. It's God's economy. He does more with less. He always does that. If you're honoring him in that way. And so he begins to do this. Now, God said, when I bring you into this land I'm giving you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to institute a Sabbath rest for the land. Even the land needs to rest. So he said, for six years, you get to farm and plant and toil the ground. But here's the deal. On the seventh year, you don't do any of that. You just let it rest. The land gets a Sabbath rest. On the seventh year, debts are forgiven. Different kinds of things would take place. And then on the seventh set of seven years would be the year of what? Jubilee. Has anyone ever heard of that? What that was was a seven times seven. So every seven years, there would be the Sabbath kind of reset. Then when it was seven times seven, the 49th, that year, the 50th year was a year of everything was set right again. All land was returned to people. It was crazy. I'm like, I'm all about the Jubilee. That's that's amazing. Um, and so this was God. God had these rhythms of rest, these rhythms of break. Now, here's the thing that was beautiful. You have all the other people around, all the other neighbors, and you have These people planting for six years, resting the land a seventh year, and everyone else is doing seven years. And what they're finding is the people of God are more blessed and seeing more fruitfulness in six years than they could see in seven years. It's the principle of God's math. This is how it works. This is how it happens. You'll still see this principle at work today. In fact, there is a pretty famous fast food chain that I almost don't want to mention their name because I'm going to make you very mad because you're going to get an appetite for it and then you can't go there because they're not open today. You know what I'm talking about. Let's all say it together. Chick-fil-A. Yeah. How many know, I don't know if you know this, but there's a Chick-fil-A being built at the end of Terrell Road right now as we speak. So that's, there is praise in the house of God. But there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth every Sunday that you drive by it after church you can't go there. Decades ago, when Chick-fil-A was first started by Truett Cathy, he founded it with this one principle. We're going to be open six days a week. On the seventh day, we're going to rest on Sundays. We're shutting it down. Families, everything, we're not doing it. You have other companies as well built on similar principles, Hobby Lobby and some others. But Chick-fil-A is one. And here's the amazing thing about it. They're in the retail consumer-driven business. That weekend, Sundays of all days, that's the day where people want to go out and eat. That's the time, that's the time when you get the most business. But what do they say? Nope, we shut it down. How many have been to the Menlo Park Mall, the Woodbridge Mall, and you go walking by there, and you're like, oh, how could you do this to me? Uh, You're closed, you know, but you'll see it. And there it is, just darkened when everything else is booming. You think, how does that work? How How can that make sense? It doesn't make sense. They doubled down though. Chick Fil A is headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, and a few years ago, Atlanta started to build for their for their Falcons, the NFL football team, the most well, I think the most beautiful football stadium I've ever seen, the Mercedes Benz Stadium. Have you ever seen this thing? The roof literally like opens up in this weird way. It looks like a spaceship. It's crazy looking, um, huge, billions of dollars. Um, and here's the, here's the deal. In there, they decide we're going to put a Chick Fil A. So there's this big, giant, beautiful Chick-fil-A. Now I'm thinking someone maybe they got fired from Chick-fil-A or someone didn't understand because the Atlanta Falcons are an NFL football team. What day does NFL football teams play? So they okay. So let's just follow the logic for a second. This billion-dollar stadium that's mainly open on Sundays, primarily for football games. You put a Chick-fil-A. So do you think they're open on Sundays? No. Now let's go even further. The Super Bowl was there two years ago. You got tons and tons of people ready. This is like the cash cow. Everything's coming in. Do you think they're open on the Super Bowl? No. In fact, it made the news. (laughs) Like, new NFL stadium has a Chick-fil-A that's closed on Sundays. What are they thinking? What are they doing? Even on the Super Bowl. Do you know why? Because they ruthlessly protect that day. I promise you that once this Chick fil A opens, if I drive up the street and I say, Can I meet with the manager? Listen, we got like 1,500 people on Sunday and we're really, really hungry and we're doing the Lord's work. You're doing the Lord's work. Here's what I need you to do Make us some Chick fil A and get it down here because we're going to give it to our people. I'll pay you whatever you want for it. Do you think that they're going to do that? Why? They made a commitment. They ruthlessly protect that day. So Chick fil A is willing to do and it works for a business, but is it, how's it working for you? How about you? I'm telling you, they they could get promised millions and millions of dollars, and they're going to stand on this. Do you know why? Because they recognize this is part of what makes it work for them. Do you know whenever you look and say, How, "Well, how's that really working out?" You go and Google after service today. Look at the most profitable um, businesses. Go look at the the greatest profits and losses, the greatest um, you know success rates in them. Chick Fil A is at the top of the list. They're outpacing every other fast food chain. They're and they're doing it in six days when they're all working seven days. They're producing it. Part of it is this reality. It's only six days. And and you think all the other fast food chains, and they're thinking, how are they doing it? How are they doing it in only six days? And they're thinking, no, we're doing it because it's six days. (laughs) If we were doing it seven, I promise you, if Chick-fil-A starts opening seven days a week, we can come back here years from now I can almost guarantee it from my heart. I feel such conviction. They will not be as profitable or successful because I believe they're taking a step. They're honoring the Lord. I believe that it is a part of the reason why they're experiencing what they're experiencing. I mean, it's good chicken, but it isn't like 14% better in in that way. They're, They're outpacing everyone. They made a decision. Does that make sense? And here we are, thinking that it's optional, thinking we can go seven days a week, Come on, a chicken sandwich place can't go seven days a week. They realize something. But here we are thinking, fooling ourselves. Are you with me? That we can just keep going. God wants to give you this gift of his rest. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to set us free from legalism and all these things. So I'm looking to get legalistic about this thing. But here's what I would say to you is the number one thing you can do. And come on up, Pastor Rick. Take a day off this week. Take a day in Sabbath and rest in God. Take a day off. It, I maybe mean, It's not Saturday, maybe it's not Sunday, maybe it's a different day of the week depending on what you're able to do. But take a day and rest in him and truly do nothing. Schedule nothing. But that's, that seems strange. I feel bad. I feel like everyone else is working and the world around me is working. There's so much expectation on me. Trust God and watch what he does. I'm telling you, Pastor, I got so much to do, so much on my mind. I can't get it all done. I can't get it all done with seven days. You'll never get it all done with seven days. But honor God in this and watch what He does. Begin to ruthlessly protect it. I had one pastor, Pastor Robert Morris, wrote a great book called Take a Day Off. It's on this subject. And um, he was taught, I was listening to him share about this. And early in his ministry, God convicted him years ago about this reality of Sabbath. He was going too much and he was pushing himself too much, and it's very possible for me, or any of your pastors here, or anyone in ministry, or just like any of us, that we can all just keep going, and not stop, and not Sabbath, and not rest in God, and so he was, he was doing that on Mondays, and he really protected that day, and he had the staff members come to him one day, and said, um, hey pastor, I know that, I know that Monday is your Sabbath, and um, but I wanted to know if we could do X, Y, and Z, and if you would be able to do this and be available for that, and started rattling off this list of things, and he said, okay, sure, do you want to, maybe we can go uh, rob a bank as well whenever we're done, and we can go, he started naming things of the Ten Commandments, and they were like, whoa, he said, why do you think that this would be optional for me? Those things aren't optional. He was uh, listing other commandments, and he just, he, he hit it, and he wasn't trying to be mean, and if you come and talk to me and ask me about something, it's my day that I'm taking, I'm not going to give you that answer, I don't think, um, but, But he was trying to show them, like, why do you think this is optional for me? That I could just keep going and going and going. And I think he was frustrated because it was one of his very his pastors and leaders within his ministry with them to just think, now, I mean, I know it's the Sabbath, but whatever, like just keep going. They ruthlessly worked them in the fields. They were slaves. But God desired for people to ruthlessly protect this day of rest. And that's why you see it, and it's pretty intense uh, as God really made it very clear you got to do this. He's trying to train them to live differently as his sons and daughters. When the world looks at Chick-fil-A, they see something that doesn't make any sense. Why would they build a stadium business? on a day that's not open? Why would they shut down 14% of the time at core business hours? Why would they, why, in the Old Testament, why would, they, why would they rest their land for a whole year? I think about a whole year, what they could be doing for you. Why are they really just taking a day and doing nothing? Don't they know there's? it doesn't make sense? Here's the problem. We think our lives are supposed to make sense. Francis Chan, an incredible author and speaker, said this, and it has pricked my heart. Something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. If people that don't know God look at your life and say, that makes complete sense, perhaps you're not living the way you should be living. Does that make sense? Because our life shouldn't make sense. That there are things about honoring God and following Him that are going to confound the world. We're peculiar people, but we're His. And He loves us, and He blesses us, and He honors us, and He gives us this beautiful gift of His rest. And He wants every one of us to experience it. Would you bow your heads with me today? Close your eyes. The Lord says to us, remember, you were slaves to sin. But I've done all the work to set you free. It's not because of your works, it's my works. Jesus said, is anyone weary and heavy burdened? If he isn't, come to me and I'll give you rest. There's no rest like the rest that Jesus brings. There's no freedom like the freedom Jesus brings. If you're here within the sound of my voice and You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to rescue you, to give you a brand new life and to forgive you of your sins. I want you to know you're never going to have rest. You're never going to have peace until you do. You're never going to be good enough in your own strength to earn your way to God. It's not how it works. Jesus already came and he paid the ultimate price by dying on the cross for your sins. And today, if you're here and you know you're not right with God, but you want to be, you're ready. I want you to know God's arms are wide open. The Lord loves you and he welcomes you to come to him. And today I just want to just have a moment to offer, offer that to anyone that said, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my whole life to God. I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to ask him to forgive me of my sins and give me this life. You're talking about it. If you're here today and you've never done that and you're ready to do that, right where you're sitting, just lift your hand up. Don't worry about the person on your left or your right. I just want to pray for you. Praise God. Is there anyone else? on the main floor up in the balcony, just lift your hand high. I see, I see those hands. Anyone sitting up in the balcony, that's you. Just wave at me. Praise God. I saw some hands go up. I may not have caught all of them. I see your hand in the balcony. Thank you. If you're sitting on online watching at home, just lift your hand. The Lord, he sees you. We're going to pray. Praise God. Today's the day. It's the first day of the rest of your life, and this is the moment of God's freedom and forgiveness to flow in. Pray this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. I'd welcome anyone to pray it that's ready to take that step or even recommit your heart and life to the Lord. Pray with me right now to the Lord. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. They separated me from you. But I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again to give me a brand new life. Today, I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord, we celebrate with those that made that decision today, Lord God. We rejoice as heaven rejoices, Lord God, for lives that are forever changed, Lord God. And I ask you today, Lord, would burdens be lifted, Lord? Would chains be broken? Would they experience all the blessings of your promises in their lives? In Jesus' name. Now, everyone, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed right now. Would you just talk to the Lord? Would you pray the simple prayer, Jesus, give me rest? Jesus, we need you. So many of us, we're going on our own. We're going in our own strength. We're restless. And in this season, the Lord wants to give you his rest. So I want you to ask yourself right now, I want you to make a decision. How are you going to apply this message to your life? Are you going to do it this week? You're going to carve out a time. I'd encourage you to take a whole 24-hour time frame if you can and rest in the Lord. Cease from your work. Cease. From the, the chores. Cease from those things. Rest. Rest with your family. Rest with your loved ones. Rest in the Lord's presence. Acknowledge Him. Remember the good things He's done in your life. If it can't be that entire day, take a period of time, whatever it would be, set aside that time. Protect it. Carve it out this week. Make it a priority. Next week, I'm going to share a message with you about principles of Sabbath that are going to help you understand how to make the most of these times. But for this week, it's just about taking that day, taking that time, and resting in the Lord. Would you stand to your feet with me today? I just want to pray God's blessing on you as we get ready to go today. Are we ready to apply this to our to our lives, church family? Are you with me? Come on, we thank the Lord for that. Come on, let me just pray for you right now. Let's hold your hands out in front of you. Lord Jesus, we just receive from you, you are our rest. You are the greatest Sabbath we've ever experienced. We have rest in you, Lord. And we thank you for what you've done to set us free and to give us a new life. And we pray in this season, Lord, that this new reality would take root in our lives, that you would grow us, not by the work of our hands, but by our ability to pause and rest in you, Lord God. We thank you today for this word, for this truth. Make it come alive in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come quickly to the front. And listen, if you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. If you accepted Jesus and rose your hand today, look at me. I want you to come to the front quickly. We have a book for you called Following Jesus. If anyone here is beginning a relationship with God or want to begin to follow Jesus, we want to put this book in your hands. So if you rose your hand and prayed that prayer, please come forward as everyone's leaving. We'd love to place it in your hands. If not, we'll see you on Wednesday night and next Sunday morning. God bless.